If y'all would please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we'll be beginning in verse 38 today. Now today I want to, I want us to think about and look at uh, the idea of knowing your enemy. Knowing your enemy is a uh, vital part of any sort of warfare, any sort of attack, any sort of, uh, well, battle. You have to know your enemy. You have to know what tactics to use against them. You have to understand who it is that you're fighting against in order to have an upper hand, to win. Football teams, as they prepare for games, they study the team that they're going up against. They study, okay, this week we're facing a team that has a really uh, fast, high-paced offense. You know, or maybe their defense is really good. Maybe their offensive line is really good, so they've got to figure out how to, how to block the pass rush. But they are going to study the other teams. They're going to prepare themselves based on that. Soldiers study the tactics of uh, potential, potentially hostile countries. The way that you fight against uh, Russia is not the same way that you would fight against Iraq, Iran. The way that you fight against them would not be the same as the way you would fight against North Korea. So you need to study who it is that is a possible threat. And the Christian life is no different. You need to know who it is that you're fighting against. Because like it or not, if you are breathing, you are in a battle. You are in a war. But we oftentimes get this mixed up, and Jesus here sets the record straight. Beginning in verse 38, says, Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Let us pray. 
Father God, I thank You that You have freely extended salvation to all people. God, that You have offered salvation to anyone who would believe in Your name, trust in You, and repent of their sins. God, I pray we would know and understand and live by the fact that our enemy is not other people. Certainly not other believers. But that our enemy dwells within. Our enemy is sin. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your word has to say. pray that you would give us clarity in the scripture. pray that you would give us hearts open to receive your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that I want you to understand, what he says here, these people are working these miracles, casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they, the disciples try to stop the man, and Jesus says, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. He who is not against us is on our side. Friends, the enemy is not other churches. It's not the church down the road. I know there's confusion a lot of times between Pilgrim's Rest and Pilgrim Home. They're not our enemy. They're not our rival. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Bay Springs Baptist down the road, that's our brothers and sisters in Christ. God is not confined to this one church. God is much bigger than that. And we, we have this problem where we tend to get really competitive. I mean, that's just human nature to get competitive. Anybody who has siblings or maybe you have multiple kids, you know, people get competitive. Me and my brothers, everything turns into a competition. I mean, if my mom would have just told us, you know, whoever could put the most plates away the fastest would be the winner, we would have gotten our chores done way faster. So, mom, that's a little late tip for you. Um, we're competitive. We also make our own teams, and, and we stick with that. You know, there was a, an experiment done in the 1950s where they got about 24, I think it was 24 or 25 guys together, split them up into two teams. It was completely random. There was no significance to the teams. They just split them into two teams. And after about a week or two, they were fighting, physically fighting, beating each other up over which team was better. It had nothing to do with skill, nothing to do with their abilities. It was just random. But we love competition. We love to be better than other people. And churches are not excluded from that. All the time we, we hear of people saying, well, you, know, you should come to our church. Our church is better. I had a buddy who was, uh, had just moved out to a college and was looking for churches, and he visited one on a Wednesday night and then went to visit another on Sunday morning. And someone from the church he went to on that Wednesday night said, hey, where were you on Sunday? And he said, oh, you know, I was just out you know, visiting churches, just seeing, you know, which, where I felt called to. And he said, well, you already found us. You found the best one. Come here. You don't need to look at the other ones. 
I've seen people uh, go door to door evangelizing, and the person at the door says, oh, you know, thank you, but uh, we're a member of such and such church. Well, come to our church instead. That's not the goal. People can be followers of Christ and not be a part of the same church as you. Now, obviously, I, I would love to see all the pews in here filled. I mean, that would be amazing. But our goal is not to just steal sheep from other flocks. Our goal is to, to redeem people, to bring people out of sin and darkness with the gospel, to reach the world with the gospel. Our enemy is not our fellow workers. Jesus is clear that uh, no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. He who is not against us is on our side. You know, we are part of something much bigger than Pilgrim's Rest Baptist Church. We are part of something much bigger than these four walls. Even just in a local sense, we are a part of an association. A group of churches that gather together, that, that operate together, that help one another, that help to grow one another, and help to, to assist in certain things that maybe we're lacking in here, but another church down the road is doing good with. And so they can help us. We are a part of a group of churches. And beyond that, we are part of the church, the capital C, People of God Church. Every believer across the entire globe who has ever lived and will ever live is part of a body. And that body is the bride of Christ. And that bride cannot function properly if within itself everything is warring. If I'm constantly, if my finger and my toe hate each other and I'm just constantly you know, jamming my finger into my toe and just beating it up, that's going to cause problems, right? It doesn't work like that. My finger and my toe got to work together. Well, as believers, we ought to work together with one another. Now, there is a um, <clears throat> something we need to look out for with this. There's something that we need to be careful of. And that is that there are many people who go by the name Christian who have no relation to Christ. There are churches that go by the name Christian that you break down their beliefs and it is completely the opposite of the gospel. I have friends that are, are Mormon and they say that, yeah, we're, we believe the same thing. We're Christians as well. Well, they don't believe the same thing that I do. They don't believe that Jesus is the one and only Son of God, that he is the one and only way to heaven. They believe differently. What Jesus is talking about here is not somebody who has these core differences where he, this person doesn't believe in Christ, doesn't believe that Jesus is the way to heaven, doesn't believe that um, Jesus is the one and only Son of God. This is somebody who believes those things, believes in Christ, believes in Him for salvation, but is simply not part of their group. Somebody who goes by the name Christian yet rejects the sovereignty of Christ, rejects Jesus' sacrifice, rejects the sufficiency of Christ's blood. Well, that is not a believer. Jesus says that he is the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through him. 
So if somebody is preaching those things, proclaiming that there are other ways to the Father, proclaiming there are other ways to heaven, then that certainly is not someone who is for us. That is not someone who is for the gospel. But even at that, even at that, even though that person may not be uh, what Jesus is speaking of here, that does not mean that that person is our enemy. Our enemy is not a physical person. The Bible says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy certainly is not other Christians, but it's also not people who are not Christian. Our enemies are not atheists, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, agnostics, Muslims. That is not our enemy. Jesus lays out clearly what we are to watch against, watch for. In verses 42 through 48, he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, or who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. In verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Our enemy is sin. Our sin nature. We have this nature inside of us. Even after salvation, we have this, this tendency to go towards sin, to go towards the things that Jesus hates. We have this tendency to go towards those things. And our job, this warfare that we're in, is to kill that tendency. To fight against that sin. To fight against that desire to sin. Our enemy is within. We are not fighting against other people. We are fighting against the desires of the flesh. You are engaged in warfare, whether you want to be or not, against sin. Our enemy is sin itself. Now we like to, we like to kind of downplay this. Sin is uncomfortable to talk about. It's, you know, we like to, we like to kind of teeter on the edge, kind of flirt with sin a little bit. You know, it's not wrong. I'm just, I'm not going too far. I'm okay. Well, when I was growing up, uh, I lived in this neighborhood that had a bunch of, uh, a bunch of houses were being built in the neighborhood. There was always construction, and me and my friends decided to make a game out of something. As I said earlier, very competitive, always trying to compete over everything. Well, when they would pour concrete in the, uh, in the driveway, they'd always put this yellow line around it, uh, this yellow tape to block it off, tell people not to go onto it. And so me and my friends started this game where we tried to see who could reach out the furthest in this, it, past this line. So it started, us, uh, it started out with us just going up to it and just kind of, you know, reaching our hand under it, seeing how far we could get. But then, you know, my friends were able to go further than me. Maybe their arms were longer. I couldn't let that happen. So I got, I got smart, developed some new strategies. I learned that if I just kind of pressed my chest against the yellow tape, 
and just slowly walked forward, it would stretch a lot. And so I started just, you know, slowly walking forward onto this just newly poured concrete. And, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm fully in the driveway that I'm not supposed to be in. And I'm able to beat my friends because I can put my arm out further. At that point, I was in the wrong. I had crossed the line. But I kept telling myself, I haven't crossed the line because the, the yellow tape is still in front of me. Well, that's what we tend to do with sin. We set this boundary line and say, well, I'm not going to go across this. I'm not going to do more than this. I'm not going to go past this line. As long as I don't do this, then I'm fine. I've seen men who are married flirting with waitresses, and when confronted, they say, well, as long as I just don't act on it, I'm fine. I like to ask them, does your wife think so? Does your wife agree with that? Because that line, it's very easy to convince ourselves that we can just keep pushing it back. Push it back a little further. Just keep pushing and it'll be okay. I'm not crossing this line, am I? I'm just kind of shifting where the line's at. We do this with ourselves. We set up these boundaries. At least we should set up boundaries for ourselves to prevent us from sinning. And yet, we like to flirt with it. We like to just sit there on the edge and then before we know it, we're fully in it. We're fully in that driveway like I was. Fully in sin. Well, Hebrews 12, verse 1 is one of my favorite verses and has really helped to show me what we ought to be thinking instead. Because I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten the question of, well, how far is too far? How far can I go? Maybe you struggle with uh, addiction. I can, I can have just a little bit, right? That's not sinful. That's not wrong. Sure, maybe a little bit is fine. It's not going to affect you. But Romans 12, or sorry, Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love that language. It doesn't just say, let us lay aside every sin. No, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. Anybody here ever run a 5K? It's not fun. Um, I will tell you that much. But if you ever run a 5K, you will get to the end of it and be absolutely exhausted. Now imagine running that 5K, that's 3.12 miles, with ankle weights. Well, that isn't going to help your time, is it? My best time when I, was in, when I was in high school running cross country was 21 minutes. If I had to carry around a weight with me, it would shoot down so far. To the point where I would be the bottom of the JV team if I had put on ankle weights. Well, when we flirt with sin, when we allow ourselves to be enticed by sin and don't do anything to stop it, that's essentially what we're doing. We are in a race. The Bible constantly describes the Christian life as a race. We are running the race that is set before us. And sure, something may not be necessarily sinful, but when you are adding that onto yourself, adding a weight, something that's not necessarily wrong, but it's not helping you, you're going to 
well, eventually it will turn into sin. When I was at the, the Baptist college, I would have a lot of guys talking to me about their relationships, and they would say, you know, well, yeah, after, our, you know, after we went on a date, we hung out in the car for a bit, just in the parking lot. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Well, sure, that by itself is not sinful, but it can lead to a whole lot more. It can lead you down a path that you're not good enough to, to resist. You're not strong enough to stop yourself. I told them, you're adding a weight into your relationship, into your relationship with Christ. You're adding this weight into your life that doesn't need to be there, and it's not helping you. Rather than asking, how far can I go with this? How far can I go before I'm technically in sin? The question ought to be, is this going to help me? Is this going to glorify God? If I do this, is this going to benefit me? Is this going to draw me closer to God? Is this going to help me grow in my love and devotion to God? Or is this going to hinder me? Is this a weight or is this setting me free? That's the question we ought to be asking. Is this a weight? Because I can tell you right now, if you just trust in your own strength to stop yourself from sinning, it's not going to work out. It won't. And Jesus is clear here that it is horrible. Sin is not just a little, it's a little mistake. I just made a little mistake. It's not just a little, uh, little bad habit. You know, maybe I, I need to stop eventually. No, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, if you remember a few verses before this, Jesus had sat down with children there to show the disciples that, um, to let them know that the children were loved by him. So he has these children here. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. These millstones were hundreds of pounds and they would be rolled over these wheat, this grain, in order to crush it and make it into a fine powder. Hundreds of pounds. You have that tied around your neck and you're thrown into the sea. You are not coming back up. Jesus is saying it would be better if you were killed than to tempt one of these kids to stumble. To teach one of these kids that it is okay to live in sin. And then he takes it more personal to, to you. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I don't know about you. I like having my hands. They're, they're good. They're nice. I like having my feet. Verse 45, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. 47, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I like having my hands and my feet and my eyes. But Jesus is better. If there is something in your life causing you to sin, cut it out. Now, I'm not saying go home and chop off your hand. Certainly don't do that. Jesus is using hyperbole here. But the point is, sin is not just this, this little thing to play with. Just a little pet to kind of keep around. And, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, then we can just, you know, we're fine. Obviously, if that pet hurts somebody else, we'll, you know, we'll put it down. But... Obviously, if that sin hurts somebody else, well, I'll stop it. But no. Sin is not this cute little thing. It is actively killing you. 
John Owen, a, a famous uh, theologian, a Puritan, said, always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you are not actively fighting against sin, then sin will be destroying you. I had a, a friend that I was going through, um, I was going through some things with, and he was struggling a lot, and I, I shared that quote with him, and he said, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It is, but it is better to follow Christ, to lay aside every weight and sin, to lay those things down, and to go after Christ than to lay yourself down. Just lay down and let sin happen. To stop resisting. Because what he says here, he references Isaiah chapter 66. In Isaiah 66, Jesus is speaking of, or sorry, God is speaking through Isaiah about what life will be like in the new heaven and new earth. It says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall, reign, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So those are the people in the new heaven, the new earth, those who are following Christ, those who have followed Christ into eternity, into life. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their, wor their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Again, sin is not just something to toy around with. Sin is evil. And this is the end of sin. Their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. We have become desensitized to sin in this modern age. Don't fall for the, for the lie that it's just, well, it's fine. Hey, God will forgive me anyways, right? God certainly has forgiveness, but he will not be made a fool. God will repay every action, every sin. You are engaged in warfare. You and me, all of us, are engaged in warfare, whether we want to be or not. It is not against flesh and blood, but it is against our sin nature, this, this vile nature inside of us that is constantly trying to bring us down, to tear us down. So, if something causes you to sin, get rid of it. It's not worth it. If there is something in your life, some area in your life that is causing you to stumble, causing you to uh, break your promises with God or with your family, just cut it out. I mean, cut that part of your life out. Get rid of that thing. It is not good for you. You know, as, as most of y'all know, I'm a big Alabama fan. Um, obviously, I watch Alabama football. One of my favorite players right now, uh, favorite players to watch, Kool-Aid McKinstry, number one. He is our punt returner. And if you watch an Alabama football game, uh, one of the things that happened this, this year 
he has dropped a few punt returns. And when you drop it, that becomes a live ball. The other team can get it, and it's ended up being pretty costly. So if you watch an Alabama football game now, on any punt return, you're likely to see Kool-Aid McKinstry run away from the ball because he doesn't want to touch it. He doesn't want to uh, end up dropping the return. That's how we ought to be with sin. See it coming, run away. Get away from it. It's not worth it. Don't try and get close to it, just leave it. Now, in verses 49 and 50, we begin to see sin's tactics. So that's Jesus' warning against sin. But then what does sin do to us? If we're in Christ, then we are, we are held by God. So what can sin actually do to us? Well, he says, everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its, loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Many times God calls us to be salt of the earth, to be like salt to the world. But what does that mean? What was I mean, obviously, salt, we use it a lot. Why? Well, it's kind of the basic seasoning. It is the universal seasoning. You put salt on everything. And salt is also really, really helpful. Especially in these times, they didn't have you know, refrigerators and big chest freezers like we do. The way that you would keep meat from rotting is by salting it. Salt was extremely valuable, but... If the salt was no longer salty, if it had been used, if it had been ruined, what would you do with it? You just throw it out. It's not good for anything. And Jesus here is comparing us to salt. He says, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. What sin does to us is removes our effectiveness. You may think that, that that sin that you have that you haven't told people about, that's, that's just your own private thing. It doesn't affect anybody. It's not affecting my family. It's not affecting my friends. You know, it's just me. Like, that's just me personally. It is affecting every part of your life, whether you recognize that or not. Sin is affecting you. It is affecting your saltiness, your, your effect for God. Be effective for the kingdom. And your sin will actually affect the people around you. And we see that in here. We see that in this text. Uh, Jesus says in verse 39, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name could soon afterwards speak evil of me. The implication there is if someone is speaking evil of God, whether privately or publicly, that they are not working miracles in his name, not doing mighty works for his name. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This man's sin, this hypothetical person's sin that he is talking about is affecting these little ones, these children. In verse 50, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. What's the implication if you don't have salt in yourself? If you are not effective for the kingdom, you will not have peace with one another. I guarantee you, 
you can look at the times in your life when you have struggled, times when you have been struggling in relationships with people, times when you have had the, the worst relationships, conversations, times when you've struggled to forgive other people. And I can just about guarantee you that if you look at your life at that point, you will see a lack of devotion to God and a surplus of sin. Other people may not have known about it, but you do. You've kept this within. You've kept this secret. Hidden sin eats away at your life. Regardless of whether or not you think it will affect other people, I promise you it will. Sin affects every part of us. So be killing sin or sin will kill you. Again, we are in a war. We are in a battle. Sin and death are on one side and life in Christ is on the other side. And you must make your choice of which side you will be on. Let us pray. Almighty Father, I thank you that you have redeemed us, that you've brought us salvation through the blood of your Son. God, I pray that we would pursue you, put you first. God, that we would seek your righteousness in all that we do. God, I pray that we would follow you in everything we would reject sin, that we would flee from sin, that we would set boundaries to stay away from it. Because God, it is not worth it, but you are. And Lord, I pray that when we do sin, that we would uh, confess and repent and turn to you. God, that we would ask for your forgiveness and not just ask for forgiveness, but turn away from that sin that we would learn to love you more and to hate sin more. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.